0: Chapter Thirty Eight of the Deluge, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Deluge, Volume Two by Henrik Cienkiewicz. Translated by Jeremiah Curtin, eighteen thirty five to nineteen o six chapter thirty eight the sortie had attained its object only in part though Boguslav's division had entered the city the sortie itself had not done great things it is true that pan kotvich's squadron and oskerko's dragoons had suffered seriously but the swedes too had strewn the field with many corpses and one regiment of infantry which vodiovsky and vankovitch had struck was almost destroyed the lithuanians boasted that they had inflicted greater loss on the enemy than they had endured themselves pan sapieha alone suffered internally because a new confusion had met him from which his fame might be seriously affected the colonels attached to the hetman comforted him as well as they could and to tell the truth this lesson was useful for henceforward he had no more such wild banquets and if there was some pleasure, the greatest watchfulness was observed during the time of its continuance. The Swedes were caught the day after. Supposing that the hetman would not expect a repetition of the sortie so soon, they came outside the walls again, but driven from their ground and leaving a number of dead, they returned. Meanwhile, they were examining hustling in the hetman's quarters. This made Pan Andrei so impatient he almost sprang out of his skin for he wished to have the scot to himself at the earliest and talk with him touching taurogi he prowled about the quarters all day went in every little while listened to the statements and sprang up whenever Boguslav's name was mentioned in the question but in the evening he received an order to go on a scouting expedition he said nothing only set his teeth for he had changed greatly already and had learned to defer private affairs for public service. But he pushed the Tartars terribly during the expedition, burst out in anger at the least cause, and struck with his baton till the bones cracked. They said one to another that the Bagadier was mad, and marched silently, as silently as cowards, looking only to the eyes of the leader and guessing his thoughts on the wing. On returning, he found hassling in his quarters, but so ill that he could not speak, for his capture had affected him so cruelly that after the additional torture of a whole day's inquisition, he had a fever, and did not understand what was said to him. Kmitchitz, therefore, was forced to be satisfied with what Zagwoba told of Hassling's statements, but they touched only public, not private affairs. Of Bogusmov the young officer said only this, That after his return from the expedition to Podlachie and the defeat at Yanov he had become terribly ill from rage and melancholy. He fell into a fever but as soon as he had recovered somewhat he moved with his troops to Pomerania where the Steinbock and the Elector invited him most earnestly. But where is he now? asked Kmicic. According to what hassling tells me, and he has no reason to lie, he is with the king's brother at the fortified camp on the Narev and the Bug, where Boguslav is commanding a whole cavalry division, answered Zagwoda. Ha! And they think to come here with succour to the besieged. We shall meet as God is in heaven, even if I had to go to him in disguise. Do not grow angry for nothing. To Warsaw they would be glad to come with succour, but they cannot, for Charnitsky has placed himself in their way. Having neither infantry nor cannon, he cannot attack their camp, and they are afraid to go out against him, for they know that their soldiers could not withstand his in the field. And they know too that if they went out, they could not shield themselves with the river. If the king himself were there, he would give battle, for under his command the soldiers fight better, being confident that he is a great warrior. But neither Douglas nor the king's brother nor Prince Boguslav, though all three are daring men, would venture against Czarnecki. But where is the king? He has gone to Prussia. The king does not believe that we are before Warsaw already and that we shall capture Wittemberg. But whether he believes or not, he had to go for two reasons. First, because he must win over the elector, even at the price of all great Poland. Second, because the army, which he led out of the sack, is of no use until it has rested. Toil, watching, and continual alarms have so gnawed it that the soldiers are not able to hold muskets in their hands, and still they are the choicest regiments in the whole army, which through all the German and Danish regions have won famous victories. Further conversation was interrupted by the coming of Wodayovsky. "'How is hassling?' asked he on the threshold." "'He is sick and imagines every folly,' answered Kmichits. "'And you, my dear Michal, what do you want of hassling?' asked Zagwaba. "'Just as if you do not know.' "'I could not know that it is a question with you of that cherry tree "'which Prince Boguswav has planted in his garden. "'He is a diligent gardener. "'He does not need to wait a year for fruit.' "'I wish you were killed for such jokes,' cried the little knight.' Look at him. Tell him the most innocent thing, and immediately his moustaches are quivering like the horns of a mad grasshopper. In what am I to blame? Seek vengeance on Boguslav, not on me. God grant me to seek and to find. Just now, Babinich has said the same. Before long, I see that he will raise the whole army against the prince. But Boguslav is taking good care of himself and without my stratagems you will not be able to succeed here both young men sprang to their feet and asked have you any stratagems but do you think it is as easy to take a stratagem out of the head as a sabre out of the sheath if Boguslaw were here surely i should find more than one but at that distance not only a stratagem but a cannon will not strike Pan Andrei, "'Give orders to bring me a goblet of mead, for it is hot in here today. "'I'll give you a keg of it if you will invent something. First, why do you stand over this hassling like an executioner? "'He is not the only man captured. You can ask others.' "'I have already tortured others, but they are common soldiers. "'They know nothing, but he, as an officer, was at the court,' answered Kmitzis. "'That is the reason,' answered Zagova. "'I must talk with him, too.' From what he tells me of the person and ways of Prince Boguslav, stratagems may be important. Now the main thing is to finish the siege soon, for afterward we shall move surely against that army on the Narev. But somehow our gracious lord and the Hetmans are a long time invisible. How so? asked Voldyovsky. I have returned this minute from the Hetman. Who has just received news that the king will take up position here this evening with the auxiliary divisions, and the hetmans with cavalry will come tomorrow. They are advancing from Sokol itself, resting but little, making forced marches. Besides, it has been known for two days that they are almost in sight. Are they bringing many troops? Nearly five times as many as Sapieha has. Infantry Russian and Hungarian, very excellent six thousand tartars under suba but probably it is impossible to let them out for even a day for they are very self-willed and plunder all around better give them to pan andrei to lead said Zagoba. yes said kmitsch i should lead them straightway from warsaw for they are of no use in a siege i should take them to the bug and the narev they are of use replied Volodyovski for none can see better than they that provisions do not enter the fortress. Well, it will be warm for Wittenberg. Wait, old criminal, cried Zagwaba. You have warred well, I will not deny that, but you have robbed and plundered still better. You had two mouths, one for false oaths, the other for breaking promises, but this time you will not beg off with both of them. "'The Gallic disease will dry up your skin, and doctors will tear it from you, "'but we will flay you better. Zagwaba's head for that.' "'Nonsense. He will surrender on conditions to the king, "'who will not do anything to him,' answered Padmihal. "'And we shall have to give him military honours besides.' "'He will yield on conditions, will he?' "'Indeed,' cried Zagwaba. "'We shall see.' Here he began to pound the table with such force that Rokhkovalski, who was coming in at the moment, was frightened and stood as if fixed to the threshold. "'May I serve as a waiting lad to Jews?' shouted the old man. "'If I let free out of Warsaw that blasphemer of the faith, that robber of churches, that oppressor of widows, that executioner of men and women, that hangman's assistant, that ruffian, that blood-spiller and money-grabber, that purse nora that flayer all right the king will let him out on conditions but i as i am a catholic as i am Zagwaba, as i wish for happiness during life and desire god at death will make such a tumult against him as no man has ever heard of in this commonwealth before don't wave your hand pan mihal i'll make a tumult i repeat it i'll make a tumult "'Uncle will make a tumult,' thundered Rokh Just then, Akbar Ulan thrust in his beast-like face at the door. "'Effendi,' said he to Kmicic, "'the armies of the king are visible beyond the Vistula.' All sprang to their feet and rushed forth. The king had come indeed. First arrived the Tartar squadrons under Suba Ghazi, but not in such numbers as was expected. After them came the troops of the kingdom, many and well-armed, and above all full of ardour. Before evening, the whole army had passed the bridge freshly built by Oskerko. Sapieha was waiting for the king with squadrons drawn out as if ready for battle, standing one by the side of the other like an immense wall, the end of which it was difficult to reach with the eye. The captains stood before the regiments, near them the standard-bearers, each with lowered ensign. The trumpets, kettle drums, crooked trumpets, and drums made a noise indescribable. The squadrons of the kingdom, in proportion as they passed, stood just opposite the Lithuanians in line. Between one and the other army was an interval of a hundred paces. Sapieha, with baton in hand, went on foot to that open space. After him, the chief civil and military dignitaries. On the other side, from the armies of the kingdom, approached the king on a splendid Frisian horse given him by Lubomirski. He was arrayed as if for battle, in light armor of blue and gold, from under which was to be seen a black velvet kaftan with a lace collar coming out on the breastplate. But instead of a helmet, he wore the ordinary Swedish hat with black feathers but he wore military gloves and long yellow boots coming far above his knees. After him rode the Papal Nuncio, the Archbishop of Lvouv, the Bishop of Kamieniec, the priest, Chechishovsky, the Voyevod of Kraków, the Voyevod of Rus, Baron Lisola, Count Pottingen, Pan Kamieniec, the Ambassador of Moscow, Pan grodzicki General of Artillery, Tizenhaus, and many others. Sapieha advanced as Marshal of the Kingdom to hold the King's stirrup, but the King sprang lightly from the saddle, hurried to Sapieha and, without saying a word, seized him in his embrace. And Jan Kazimir held him a long time in view of both armies. Silent all the while, but tears flowed down his cheeks in a stream, For he pressed to his bosom the truest servant of the king and the country, a man who, though he did not equal others in genius, though he even erred at times, still soared in honesty above all the lords of that commonwealth, never wavered in loyalty, sacrificed without a moment's thought his whole fortune, and from the beginning of the war exposed his breast for his king and the country. The Lithuanians, who had whispered previously among themselves that perhaps reprimands would meet Pansapeha because he had let Karl Gustav escape from near saint Sandomierge, and for the recent carelessness at Warsaw, or at least a cool reception, seeing this heartiness of the king, raised in honour of the kindly monarch a tremendous heaven-echoing shout. The armies of the kingdom answered it immediately with one thunder roll. And for some time above the noise of the music, the rattle of drums, the roar of musketry, were heard only these shouts Vivat Johannes Casimirus! Long life to the armies of the crown! Long life to the Lithuanians! So they greeted one another at Warsaw. The walls trembled, and behind the walls the Swedes. I shall bellow as God is dear to me, cried Zagorba with emotion. I cannot restrain myself. See our king, our father. Gracious gentlemen, I am blubbering. Our father, our king. The other day a wanderer deserted by all. Now here, now here are a hundred thousand sabres at call. Merciful God, I cannot keep from tears. Yesterday a wanderer. Today the emperor of Germany has not such good soldiers here the sluices were opened in the eyes of zagwaba and he began to sob time after time then he turned suddenly to roch be silent what are you whimpering about and is uncle not whimpering answered roch true as god is dear to me i was ashamed gracious gentleman of this commonwealth but now i would not change with any nation a hundred thousand sabers let others show the like god has brought them to their minds God has given this. God has given it. Zagwaba had not made a great mistake, for really there were nearly 70,000 men at Warsaw, not counting Charnyetski's division, which had not arrived yet, and not counting the armed camp attendants, who rendered service when necessary, and who straggled after every camp in countless multitudes. After the greeting and a hurried review of the troops, the king thanked Sapieha's men amid universal enthusiasm for their faithful services and went to Ujazdów. The troops occupied the positions assigned them. Some squadrons remained in Praga, others disposed themselves around the city. A gigantic train of wagons continued to cross the Vistula till the following midday. Next morning, the suburbs of the city were as white with tents as if they had been covered with snow. Countless herds of horses were neighing on the adjoining meadows. After the army followed a crowd of Armenians, Jews, Tartars. Another city, more expensive and tumultuous than that which was besieged, grew up on the plain. The Swedes, amazed during the first days at the power of the king of Poland, made no sorties so that Pan Grodzicki, general of artillery, could ride around the city quietly and form his plan of siege on the following day the camp attendants began to raise entrenchments here and there according to grodzitski's plan they placed on them at once the smaller cannon for the larger ones were to appear only a couple of weeks later Jan Kazimir sent a message to Old Wittenberg, summoning him to surrender the city and lay down his arms, giving favorable conditions which, when known, roused discontent in the army. That discontent was spread mainly by Zagwaba, who had a special hatred of the Swedish commander. Wittenberg, as was easy to foresee, rejected the conditions and resolved on a defense to continue till the last drop of blood was shed, and to bury himself in the ruins of the city rather than yield it to the king. The size of the besieging army did not frighten him a whit, for he knew that an excessive number was rather a hindrance than help in a siege. He was informed also in good season that in the camp of Jan Kajimir, there was not one siege gun, while the Swedes had more than enough of them, not taking into consideration their inexhaustible supply of ammunition it was in fact to be foreseen that they would defend themselves with frenzy for warsaw had served them hitherto as a storehouse for booty all the immense treasures looted in castles in churches in cities in the whole commonwealth came to the capital whence they were dispatched in parties to prussia and farther to sweden but at the present time when the whole country had risen and castles defended by the smaller swedish garrisons did not ensure safety, booty was brought to Warsaw all the more. The Swedish soldier was more ready to sacrifice his life than his booty. A poor people who had seized the treasures of a wealthy land had acquired the taste of them to such a degree that the world had never seen more grasping robbers. The king himself had grown famous for greed. The generals followed his example and Wittenberg surpassed them all. When it was a question of gain, neither the honour of a knight nor consideration for the dignity of rank restrained officers. They seized, they extorted, they skinned everything that could be taken. In Warsaw itself, colonels of high office and noble birth were not ashamed to sell spirits and tobacco to their own soldiers so as to cram their purses with the pay of the army. This too might rouse the Swedes to fury in defence that their foremost men were at that time in Warsaw. First was Wittenberg himself, next in command to Karl Gustav. He was the first who had entered the Commonwealth and brought it to decline at Ustje. In return for that service, a triumph was prepared for him in Sweden as for a conqueror. In the city was Oxenstien, the chancellor, a statesman renowned throughout the world, respected for honesty even by his enemies. He was called the Minerva of the King. To his counsel, Karl was indebted for all his victories in negotiation. In the capital was also Rangel, the younger Horn, Ericsson, the second Loenhart, and many Swedish ladies of high birth who had followed their husbands to the country as to a new Swedish colony. The Swedes had something to defend. Jan Kazimir understood, therefore, that the siege especially through the lack of heavy guns on his side, would be long and bloody. The Hetmans understood this also, but the army would not think of it. Barely had Grodzitski raised the entrenchments in some fashion, barely had he pushed forward somewhat to the walls, when deputations went from all the squadrons to ask the king to permit volunteers to storm the walls. The king had to explain to them a long time that fortresses were not taken with sabres before he could restrain their ardour. Meanwhile, the works were pushed forward as rapidly as possible. The troops, not being able to storm, took eager part with the camp servants in raising these works. Men from the foremost regiments, nay even officers, brought earth in wheelbarrows, carried fascines, laboured, More than once the Swedes tried to hinder, and not a day passed without sorties. But barely were the Swedish musketeers outside the gate when the Poles, working at the entrenchments, throwing aside wheelbarrows, bundles of twigs, spades and pickaxes, ran with sabres into the smoke so furiously that the Swedes had to hide in the fortress with all haste. In these engagements bodies fell thickly. The fosses and the open space as far as the entrenchments were full of graves, in which were placed sometimes small bundles of the weapons of the dead. At last, even time failed for burial, so that bodies lay on the ground spreading a terrible odour around the city and the besiegers. In spite of the greatest difficulty, citizens stole forth to the king's camp every day, reporting what happened in the city and imploring on their knees to hasten the storm. The Swedes, they said, had a plenty of provisions as yet, but the people were dying of hunger on the streets. They lived in want, in oppression under the terrible hand of the garrison. Every day echoes brought to the Polish camp sounds of musket shots in the city, and fugitives brought intelligence that the Swedes were shooting citizens suspected of good will to Jan Kazimir. The hair stood on end at the stories of the fugitives. They said that the whole population, sick women, newly born infants, old men, all lived at night on the streets, for the Swedes had driven them from their houses and made passages from wall to wall, so that the garrison, in case Jan Kajimi's troops should enter, might withdraw and defend themselves. Rains fell on the people in their camping places. On clear days the sun burned them. At night the cold pinched them. Citizens were not allowed to kindle fires. They had no means of preparing warm food. Various diseases spread more and more and carried away hundreds of victims. Yan Kazimi's heart was ready to burst when he heard these narratives. He sent, therefore, courier after courier to hasten the coming of the heavy guns. Days and weeks passed but it was impossible to undertake anything more important than the repulsive sorties. Still, the besiegers were strengthened by the thought that the garrison must fail of provisions at last, since the roads were blocked in such fashion that a mouse could not reach the fortress. The besieged lost hope of assistance. The troops under Douglas, which were posted nearest, were not only unable to come to the rescue, but had to think of their own skin. For Jan Kazimir, having even too many men, was able to harass them. At last, the poles, even before the coming of the heavy guns, opened on the fortress with the smaller ones. Pan Grodzitski, from the side of the Vistula, raised in front of himself, like a mole, earth defenses pushed to within six yards of the moat and vomited a continual fire on the unfortunate city. The magnificent Kazanovsky Palace was ruined and the Poles did not regret it, for the building belonged to the traitor Radzajowski. The shattered walls were barely standing, shining with their empty windows. Day and night balls were dropping on the splendid terraces and in the gardens, smashing the beautiful fountains, bridges, arbors, and marble statues, terrifying the peacocks, which with pitiful screams gave notice of their unhappy condition. Pan Grodzitski hurled fire on the Bernadine bell tower, for he had decided to begin the assault on that side. Meanwhile, the camp servants begged permission to attack the city, for they wished greatly to reach the Swedish treasures earliest. The king refused at first, but finally consented. A number of prominent officers undertook to lead them, and among others, Kmicic, who was embittered by delay, and not only that, but in general he knew not what to do with himself. For Hassling, having fallen into a grievous fever, lay without consciousness for some weeks and could speak of nothing. Men, therefore, were summoned to the storm. Grodzitski opposed this to the last moment, insisting that until a breach was made, the city could not be taken, even though the regular infantry were to go to the assault. But as the king had given permission, Grodzitski was forced to yield. June 15, about 6,000 camp servants assembled. Ladders, bundles of brush, and bags of sand were prepared. Toward evening, a throng, barefoot and armed for the greater part only with sabres, began to approach the city where the trenches and earth defences came nearest the moat. When it had become perfectly dark, the men rushed at a given signal, toward the moat with a terrible uproar and began to fill it. The watchful Swedes received them with a murderous fire from muskets and cannons, and a furious battle sprang up along the whole eastern side of the city. Under cover of darkness, the Poles filled the moat in a twinkle and reached the walls in an orderless mass. Kimičić, with 2,000 men, fell upon an earth fort, which the Poles called the Mole Hill and which stood near the krakow gate in spite of a desperate defence he captured this place at a blow the garrison was cut to pieces with sabres not a man was spared pan andrei gave command to turn the guns on the gate and some of them to the farther walls so as to aid and cover somewhat those crowds who were striving to scale the walls these men however were not so fortunate they put the ladders in position and ascended them so furiously that the best-trained infantry could not have done better. But the Swedes, safe behind battlements, fired into their very faces, and hurled stones and blocks prepared for the purpose. Under the weight of these, the ladders were broken into pieces, and at last the infantry pushed down the assaulters with long spears, against which sabres had no effect." More than five hundred of the best camp servants were lying at the foot of the wall. The rest passed the moat under an incessant fire and took refuge again in the Polish entrenchments. The storm was repulsed, but the little fort remained in the hands of the Poles. In vain did the Swedes roll at it all night from their heaviest guns. Kmichits answered them in like manner from those cannon which he had captured. Only in the morning, when light came, were his guns dismounted to the last one. Wittemberg, for whom that entrenchment was as his head, sent infantry at once with the order not to dare return without retaking what had been lost. But Grodzitski sent reinforcements to Kmicic, by the aid of which he not only repulsed the infantry, but fell upon and drove them to the Krakow gate." Grodzitski was so delighted that he ran in person to the king with the report. "'Gracious lord,' said he, "'I was opposed to yesterday's work, but now I see that it was not lost. "'While that entrenchment was in the enemy's hands, I could do nothing against the gate. "'But now only let the heavy guns come, and in one night I will make a breach.' The king, who was grieved that so many good men had fallen, was rejoiced at Grodzitski's words and asked at once, but who has command in that entrenchment? Pan Babinich answered a number of voices. The king clapped his hands. He must be first everywhere. Worthy general, I know him. He is a terribly stubborn cavalier and will not let himself be smoked out. "'It would be a mistake beyond forgiveness, gracious lord, if we should permit that. "'I have already sent him infantry and small cannon, "'for that they will try to smoke him out is certain. "'It is a question of Warsaw. "'That cavalier is worth his weight in gold.' "'He is worth more, for this is not his first, "'and not his tenth achievement,' said the king. "'Then Jan Kazimir gave orders to bring quickly a horse and a field-glass.' and he rode out to look at the earthwork. But it was not to be seen from behind the smoke, for a number of 48-pounders were blowing on it with ceaseless fire. They hurled long balls, bombs, and grape shot. Still, the entrenchment was so near the gate that musket balls almost reached it. The bombshells could be seen perfectly when they flew up like cloudlets, and, describing a closely bent bow, fell into that cloud of smoke bursting with terrible explosion many fell beyond the entrenchment and they prevented the approach of reinforcements in the name of the father son and holy ghost said the king tisenhaus look a pile of torn earth is all that remains Tizenhaus, do you know who is there gracious king babinich is there if he comes out living he will be able to say that he was in hell during life we must send him fresh men worthy general the orders are already given but it is difficult for them to go since bombs pass over and fall very thickly on this side of the fort turn all the guns on the walls so as to make a diversion said the king grodzitski put spurs to his horse and galloped to the trenches after a while cannonading was heard on the whole line and somewhat later it was seen that a fresh division of mazovian infantry went out of the nearest trenches and on a run to the molehill. The king stood there looking continually. At last he cried, Babinich should be relieved in the command, and who, gentlemen, will volunteer to take his place? Neither Pan Yan, Pan Stanislav, nor Vorodovsky was near the king, therefore a moment of silence followed. I said suddenly pan topor Grilevsky, an officer of the light squadron of the primate. I said Tisenhaus. I, I, I called at once a number of voices. Let the man go who offered himself first, said the king. Pan topor Grilevsky made the sign of the cross, raised the canteen to his mouth, then galloped away. The king remained looking at the cloud of smoke with which the molehill was covered, and the smoke rose above it like a bridge up to the very wall. Since the fort was near the Vistula, the walls of the city towered above it, and therefore the fire was terrible. Meanwhile, the thunder of cannon decreased somewhat, though the balls did not cease to describe arcs, and a rattle of musketry was given out as if thousands of men were beating threshing floors with flails. It is evident that they are going to the attack again, said Tizenhaus. If there were less smoke, we should see the infantry. Let us approach a little, said the king, urging his horse. After him, others moved on, and riding along the bank of the Vistula from Ujazdów, they approached almost to the Solitz itself. And since the gardens of the palaces and the cloisters coming down to the Vistula had been cleared by the Swedes in the winter for fuel, trees did not cover the view. They could see, even without field-glasses, that the Swedes were really moving again to the storm. I would rather lose that position, said the king all at once, than that the should die. God will defend him, said the priest Czechyshovsky. And Pan Grodzitski will not fail to send him reinforcements, added Tizenhaus further conversation was interrupted by some horseman who was approaching from the direction of the city at all speed Tizenhaus, having such sight that he saw better with the naked eye than others through field-glasses caught his head at sight of him and said grilevsky is returning it must be that kmitschitz has fallen and the fort is captured the king shaded his eyes with his hands grilevsky rushed up reined in his horse and panting for breath exclaimed "'Gracious Lord! What has happened? Is he killed?' asked the king. "'Pan Babinich says that he is well and does not wish anyone to take his place. He begs only to send him food, for he has had nothing to eat since morning.' "'Is he alive, then?' cried the king. "'He says that he is comfortable there,' repeated Grilevsky. But others, catching breath from wonder, began to cry. "'That is courage! He is a soldier!' "'But it was necessary to stay there and relieve him absolutely,' said the king to Grilevsky. "'Is it not a shame to come back? Were you afraid, or what? It would have been better not to go!' "'Gracious lord,' answered Grilevsky. "'whoso calls me a coward, him I will correct on any field, "'but before majesty I must justify myself. I was in the anthill itself, But the beanage flew into my face because of my errand. "'Go,' said he, "'to the hangman. "'I am at work here. "'I am almost creeping out of my skin, "'and I have no time to talk, "'but I will not share either my glory or command with any man. "'I am well here, and I will stay here, "'but I'll give orders to take you outside the trench.' "'I wish you were killed,' said he. "'We want to eat, and they send us a commandant instead of food.' "'What had I to do, gracious lord?' I do not wonder at his temper, for their hands are dropping from toil. And how is it? asked the king. Is he holding the place? Desperately. What would he not hold? I forgot to tell besides that he shouted to me when I was going, I'll stay here a week and will not surrender if I have something to eat. Is it possible to hold out there? There, gracious lord, is the genuine day of judgment, Bomb is falling after bomb. Pieces of shells are whistling like devils around the ear. The earth is dug out into ditches. It is impossible to speak from smoke. The balls hurl around sand and earth so that every moment a man must shake himself to avoid being buried. Many have fallen, but those who are living lie in furrows in the entrenchments and have made defences before their heads of stakes strengthened with earth. The Swedes constructed the place carefully, and now it serves against them. While I was there, infantry came from Grodzitski, and now there is fighting again. Since we cannot attack the walls until a breach is made, said the king, we will strike the palace on the crack of suburbs today. That will be the best diversion. The palace is wonderfully strengthened, almost changed into a fortress, remarked Tisenhouse. But they will not hurry from the city to give aid, for all their fury will be turned on Babinich, said the king. So will it be, as I am here alive, so will it be. I will order the storm at once, but first I will bless Babinich. Then the king took from the priest a golden crucifix in which were splinters of the true cross, and raising it on high, he began to bless the distant mound, covered with fire and smoke, saying, O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, have mercy on thy people, and give salvation to the dying. Amen. 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 End of chapter 38. Recording by David Granville Young.